Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to the gospel according to Luke chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 44. You can find it on page 1219 in your pew Bible. Luke 24, verse 24. And then we'll turn and read also Revelation chapter 12. Let us hear God's holy word. Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Let us next turn to Revelation Revelation chapter 12, and we'll read uh, the entire chapter. What we have here is a picture of the woman, the child, and the dragon. And uh, these cycles continue to happen through Revelation, and John is seeing these, uh, this cycle of events that continues to unfold, unfold from the time of Jesus' life and especially His ascension into heaven until the last time. And here we're beginning a new cycle in Revelation 12, and so it's dealing with the birth of Christ and the reaction also in in heaven and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and the history that follows. In light of that, let us hear Revelation chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and His throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God 
that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and all, and and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Let us also hear what we confess with the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18. Lord's Day 18, dealing with what we confess regarding the sixth article that we confess Christ ascended into heaven. Question 46. How do you understand these words, He ascended into heaven? Answer, that Christ in the sight of His disciples was taken up from earth into heaven, and that He continues there for our interests until He comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question 47. Is not Christ then with us even to the end of the world, as He has promised? Answer, Christ is very man and very God. With respect to His human nature, He is no more on earth. But with respect to His Godhead, majesty, grace, and spirit, He is at no time absent from us. Question 48. But if His human nature is not present... Wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Answer, not at all. For since the Godhead is illimitable and omnipresent, it must necessarily follow that the same is beyond the limits of the human nature he has assumed. And yet is nevertheless in, the, in, his, in this human nature and remains personally united to it. Question 49. Of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven? Answer, first, 
that He is our Advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that He, as the head, will also take up to Himself us, His members. Thirdly, that He sends us His Spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, and not things on earth. As far confession, Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we think about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we confess Lord's Day after Lord's Day, I believe that Christ has ascended into heaven. It ought to reverberate with a little bit of triumph, a note of triumph. And that's actually evident when we think about the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ as they witnessed His death. There was no triumph in this death in their minds. A, even in His resurrection, they were perplexed and confused and, and sitting in an upper room. And yet, after the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ upon His ascension, you see a completely changed attitude by these disciples. The ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ was not some kind of farewell, but rather it was a time of commissioning, a time of equipping by a promising Savior who gave His disciples great joy. Joy because they could see the vision. They could understand the vision. Their understandings were opened to His Word and to His promises. You can find that in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, which we could read also in, in, in adding to that. Dr. Luke also brings it into Acts chapter 1. You can find it in sermons of Peter in Acts and, and also sermons from Stephen even upon his martyrdom. You find the glory of Christ's ascension in the epistles. That it is to be confessed and Christ is to be worshipped and praised as an ascended King. Not only can you find it in the New Testament, you can find it in the Old Testament. Prophesying of His glorious ascension. Think of Psalm 24, which we hope to sing in Psalter 58, that, the, that the Christ would ascend into glory, that our Lord would, would indeed be crowned in glory. But we don't only find it in the Old Testament, we find it in the New Testament, but we find it in the last book of prophecy, the book of Revelation. And there we find that the fulfillment of all that Christ has done has created a dynamic in heaven where Satan is cast out. Christ has defeated the enemy. No wonder there was great joy among these first disciples. No wonder we are called also to great joy in a risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has ascended to be our prophet, priest, and king. And we as we are united to Him by true faith, and we also in union with Him become prophets, priests, and kings as we live in this world. But we find it 
from a king who is crowned in glory. And so I'd like to look at this with the theme, Confessing the Ascension of Christ. As our, first of all, as our chief prophet, and secondly, as our only high priest, and thirdly, as our eternal king. Confessing Christ, confessing the ascension of Christ, and first of all, as our chief prophet. If you notice something in the gospel accounts, and especially in Luke here, in Luke 24, verse 44, we find that Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you. Jesus is speaking to them and He's reminding them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. He spoke to them. When you think of someone as a prophet, you think of a prophet who speaks and disciples who hear and who learn. And so as our chief prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ, even upon His ascension into glory, is speaking. He's instructing as a prophet. But He's doing more than that. Christ is opening His disciples' understanding. Notice with me verse 25. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. You notice throughout their life and throughout Jesus' ministry that that they were very confused about what the Old Testament was saying about the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming and His kingdom. And now, as He brings them the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and how He points them to how they are pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and how He's fulfilled it, He opens their understanding so that they might see it and comprehend it. You can almost imagine this as a teacher, can't you? Maybe in some ways we as parents are all teachers to some degree, but, but especially school teachers or catechism teachers or anyone else who, who's teaching as you're instructing. And, and you just can see in their mind, they're seeing their faces, they're just not getting it. They don't understand. How am I going to bring this complex issue and make them understand so that they can see it for themselves and they can learn from it? And all of the sudden, you see a breakthrough. And the lights go on. And, and you're encouraged. Well, this was a breakthrough moment for the disciples. Their eyes could understand. You think about even the travelers on the way to Emmaus. They're, they're learning from Jesus as He's walking with them. But their eyes are still closed to who He is. And they're learning from Him about how all of the Old Testament is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and they come and they finally see Him and they see Him in the breaking of bread and their eyes are open and they understand it all. The light has come on. What an encouragement. This is our chief prophet. Not only does he speak, he also opens our understanding so that we might understand it and see it and know it. He clears up all the fogginess. He clears up the misconceptions. And then he goes on to commission them. He commissions them. Not only does he speak and open up their understanding, but he commissions them. 
And he commissions his church, and, they, and his church hears her glorious calling and commission, and she obeys. This is, this is what our chief prophet does. Notice how in verse 48 he says, You are witnesses of these things. What things? Witnesses to the great salvation that Jesus has accomplished. Witnesses of His suffering, of His death. Witnesses of His resurrection. And they're also witnesses of the message that they were called to bring. They're witnesses that they need to bring the message of repentance and remission of sins. That this should be preached in Jesus' name to all the nations. Beginning right here in Jerusalem. He commissions them. He calls them to service in obedience to Him. He says to them, I, I send my spirit, my, the, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. And what do we see them doing? They return to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem after the ascension. They're obedient to his commission. Furthermore, as our chief prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ has been already instructing his disciples and comforting his disciples and us today. Especially we think about the upper room discourse where the Lord Jesus Christ takes His disciples and He instructs them about things to come. He says to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I, I go. I must go. I must ascend to heaven to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What great comfort. What great comfort as he, as he instructs his disciples to remember all the things that he has taught them. And as they remember these comforting words that are penned by the, by the Apostle John. In John 14, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that we could also have this comfort today, knowing that our risen Savior has ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us in glory. And as a matter of fact, the church hears more comfort even than that. If we turn to Acts chapter 1, there we find the angels that were ministering to those who were gazing up into heaven. He says to them, while well, they looked steadfastly toward heaven, these two men who stood by them in white apparel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stay and stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. The emphasis is on heaven. As Jesus has ascended to heaven, He's going to come in like manner to take you also into heaven. What great encouragement. What great encouragement. 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ instructs and guides and gives everything that His disciples need to understand where He is going and what they are called to do. Very similar to Elijah and Elisha, wouldn't you say? Where in 2 Kings chapter 2, when Elijah was taken up into heaven by the whirlwind, there in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah and Elisha are walking along. Elijah is giving instruction to Elisha. And there, at the time when the instruction has all come to fulfill, to, to a head, there they are parted by the chariot of fire and the horse, horses. And a whirlwind takes Elijah into heaven. So our Lord Jesus Christ walks with His disciples even to Bethany. Bethany. Hmm. A place that is known as the house of the afflicted. And there in the house of afflicted, on the Mount of Olives, there He ascends into heaven to His Father's house in glory. You don't see the disciples shedding a tear. This all must have gave them great hope. You don't see them wringing their hands with anxiety because of all the challenges of this world. No, it gave them great confidence. You don't see them filled with fear as they were in the upper room. No, they go forth with boldness, praising God in the temple. When we confess Lord's Day after Lord's Day, I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. Do we confess it in truth? Do we confess by believing what He has said about His ascension? And He is head over all exalted. Do we submit to His Word as the chief prophet? Do we confess Him that He might also confess us to His Father in heaven? Do we depend on Him as He tells us everything we know, need to know to learn of Him, to love Him more, to grow in grace, and to serve Him to our utmost. Do we confess this chief prophet has ascended into heaven? You see, when we do, and we walk in the way of obedience, submitting to His Word, we're going to have this profound comfort and this profound joy in ascended Christ. Because as our Heidelberg Catechism says, then we know that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that He, as the head, will also take 
us up to himself as his members, just as he has promised in John 14. We trust his prophetic word. We look with the eyes of faith, just as Abraham did. We look to a city that has foundations in God, whose builder and maker is God. And we look to the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief prophet to send forth his prophets into this world as he equips them for ministry. Isn't that what we find in Ephesians 4? That he has ascended. Why has he ascended into heaven? That he might fill all things. How is he going to do that? He's going to give some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints to the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Our chief prophet knows what he's doing. And he equips his servants for the ministry. And he equips his church with his word. But not only do we confess him in his ascension as our chief prophet, but also as our only high priest. I think of Verse 50 here. The Lord Jesus Christ, He led them out as far as Bethany and He lifted up His hands and He blessed them. You see, the work of a priest in the Old Testament would be to go into the Holy of Holies with blood, with a sacrifice, and to come out from there and after after staying alive through this process, and coming out, he would give his blessing to the people. And so the priest work was to sacrifice. And other times it was to take your sins, the sins of your confession, and place them upon a goat, as it were. He would pray for you, and he would bless you. And our only high priest here, in his ascension, after he has given himself as a sacrifice, and, was, and that sacrifice was accepted by God, there he is raised from the dead and now is ascending into heaven, blessing his disciples. His hands, his nail-pierced hands, are blessing them as he rises from earth to heaven. He blesses those who are in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. He is blessing us even from the right hand of God today. What an encouragement. His blessed hands are all over His church. Because our catechism also, we know the benefit that it expresses, don't we? That He is our advocate in the presence of His Father in heaven. He's our high priest. He's the one who goes in between us and God. The very dust of earth, His human body, our earthly flesh, now occupies some place at the right hand of God. And there, there, He makes intercession for us and blesses us. 
You see, really, our Lord's life at the right hand of the Father is is a life of prayer, interceding for His people. Charlie Bancroft wrote, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on His hands, and my name is written on his heart. There at the right hand of God, he carries all of his people and storms the throne of God, the mercy of his Father in heaven, based upon his finished work. What an encouragement. God in the flesh now at the right hand of God. It's what we confess in Lord's Day 18 when we try to understand Christ's two natures. His human nature and His divine nature. Both of these natures in one person. How could Jesus be at the right hand of God in the flesh? And yet, His divine nature to be everywhere present, even with us today. For He has promised where two or three are gathered in My name, I will be with them. How is this possible? Well, it's because Jesus' human nature is now ascended into heaven. And there sits at the right hand of God. And yet, His divine nature Even though His human nature and divine nature are perfectly connected, yet in His divine nature He can be everywhere present. He's not limitable in His divine nature. What an encouragement. He can be with us. We can receive Jesus in our heart and in our life, and yet we have an advocate at the right hand of God who will never leave there and who, as God looks, will always see the nail-pierced hands side and feet of our beloved Savior as a testimony of what He has done for a sinner like you and me. This high priest is a gift par excellence to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this high priest is exalted to be able to give the forgiveness of sins and to secure that forgiveness through what He has done. As we have an advocate at the right hand of God to confess our sins, and He is faithful and He is just to forgive us all our sins. He is exalted to bring that gospel message through His servants, that gospel message of reconciliation. He's exalted to send us His Holy Spirit to purify us, to make us holy. He's exalted to give us a heart of prayer. He's exalted to teach us to pray. He's exalted to purify our prayers when we stammer in prayer. He's exalted to pick us up when we stumble and we fall. He's exalted so that we can know that our labors are not in vain in the Lord. Because He is blessing us from His glorious position in heaven.
No, the disciples wouldn't have returned to Jerusalem weeping and mourning. They witnessed those blessed hands of our Savior blessing them all the way to heaven. They couldn't be helped. They couldn't help but be filled with joy, boiling over as they eulogize and they praise God and they bless God. As they lay down their lives and surrender their lives into His blessed hands. He's our only high priest. And He's ascended as our only high priest. And thirdly, our Christ, ascended Christ, is ascended as our eternal King. We read in verse 51 of Luke 24, Now it came to pass when He blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Those are interesting words regarding the detail of the ascension of Christ. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Let's think about those words, carried up into heaven. As he was carried up into heaven, we, we might think of something carrying him up. And it is in the passive sense. And it's really what's carrying him up is heaven is lifting him up. He's simply going up. There's no chariot of fire that's come with horsemen. There's no whirlwind like with Elijah. There's none of that. But he's simply going up. Just as Christ gave his life, just as Christ arose, he also ascended. He went up. Gravity couldn't hold him. There's something marvelous about Christ's ascension that testifies to His power and the glory of His ascension. And that's really a visible demonstration of Jesus' promotion, His exaltation to the right hand of God to be given all power both in heaven and upon earth. It testifies of His new mode of existence. Though He had always been divine, now His human nature is occupying a place that humanity has never before occupied. A place of honor. A place of distinction. At the right hand of God. One that has all power both in heaven and upon earth. And that's exactly what we find in Psalm 24. Is why we find this exclamation, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Now the King of glory, you could think of the Lord Jesus Christ divinely. He's always been welcome and and, and arrived. But who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is King of glory. This is none other than Jesus Christ who now in one person, human and divine, ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. 
Well, now let's think about the other two words. He was parted from them and carried into heaven. He was parted from them. And we ask the question, what parted Jesus from His disciples? Was it just distance? Well, we know from Acts 1 verse 9 that it wasn't just distance. But as He spoke these things while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. Notice this word cloud. This cloud received Him out of their sights. This was not just some kind of natural phenomenon to obscure their view, but it had great significance. When we look at the Old Testament, Psalm 104, who makes the clouds His chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, that is the Lord Jesus, that is the Lord. Exodus 13, verse 21, we, we find that this pillar of cloud would lead the way for the Israelites through the wilderness to shade them from the sun. And that was a visual demonstration that God was with them in the cloud. Matthew 17, Jesus, while He is still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. A cloud in Scripture testifies of the glory, of the majesty, of the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. And want one more proof of that ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. That one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That ancient of days. He was parted by this cloud into the presence of God to be at the right hand of His Father in heaven. And that disrupted heaven. Because on His way up to heaven, He led captivity captive. He destroyed the works of the devil and all the principalities and powers of this world. And there in heaven, Satan and all of his helpers are cast out forever. Victory is won. That's what we find in picture in Revelation chapter 12. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, and they could not prevail. There was no place found for Satan and his angels in heaven any longer. And the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And what do we hear heaven Say, John listens and he hears, and the church is called to listen and to hear what heaven is doing even now. Now, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. 
Christ has led captivity captive. For they have overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's Christ and His power. His ascension that takes that great deceiver, that accuser of the brethren, and defeats Him once and for all. Satan can no longer have any influence in heaven. None whatsoever. Satan cannot reach our head. He cannot devour the man-child. He is defeated. And yet... As he's cast to this earth, we are warned. We are warned that we need a king who is ascended into heaven, who has all power both in heaven and upon earth, because Satan is now loosed for a season upon this world. And the dragon is so enraged with the woman, we find in verse 17. That he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so don't be surprised in our day that we too will do war with the dragon if we keep his commandments and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But the hope we have is this. There is a king who sits at the right hand of God, and He is our ascended, eternal King. And He is head over all things exalted. And He has all power both in heaven and upon earth. And we ought not to fear. We ought not to weep. Not as the world weeps anyway. Because we hear the joy in heaven. Salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ has come. And the accuser of the brethren is cast down. We should not weep when heaven rejoices. Now I'm not saying we don't weep because of the circumstances of the brokenness of this world. But we also on the other hand, ought to look up and to rejoice knowing we have a king who has it all in his control. Everything. If we confessed more clearly and lived our confession more boldly, we would not go around weeping but rejoicing. Praising and blessing God for His mighty works, His mighty power, His glory. If we confessed and lived our confession, we would not be lethargic, but we would 
go forth in the commission that He has given us as our King and we as His subject to go forth into this world with that good news that's given by our chief prophet. If we truly confessed and lived this confession that He ascended into heaven, then we wouldn't act like a bunch of beggars here on earth. but we would know our citizenship in heaven. And as His servants, we would be filled with service to Christ, our King. Joyful service. That's exactly what our confession tells us in the Catechism. That last benefit of Christ's ascension is this. He sends us His Spirit as an earnest by whose power we do what? We sit around and we do nothing. We weep and we mourn and we're, we're just beggars here on the world. No. He sends us His Spirit by whose power we seek the things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God and not the things on earth which will only leave us to be beggars. Our hope is in heaven, where Christ is. Where there is no more Satan. Where there never is sin, tears, pain, but rather a joy knowing that that our head who is in heaven has triumphed over all that would separate us from Him. He has ascended. What about your life? Is that evident? Maybe a a pertinent question could be this. Who rules your life? Who has dominion in your life? Is it Christ? Is He your only King? Eternal King? Is He your only High Priest? The One who has given you freely His perfect sacrifice, who lifts you up in prayer, perfect prayers. Are you surrendering your life by living a life of sacrifice to service, denying self and following our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you hear His voice as our chief prophet? Have you received understanding of the Scriptures and what they teach of Him and our life of faith? Are we also seeking to be prophets in this world? going forth through that commission, witnessing of Him in our homes, in our community, in our our nation, and throughout the world. Do we confess, I believe that Jesus has ascended to heaven? You know, many times on the pulpits, it's written 
in big letters for pastors to see these words. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Pastors do well to meditate on that in sermon preparation and in sermon delivery. That they preach Jesus and that the congregation would see Jesus. But I think just as important is the back doors of the church, the exit doors, should also say something. They should say, sirs and madams, that the world would see Jesus. If Christ is ascended as our chief prophet and our only high priest and our eternal king, Those words should ring true to some degree. Sirs, madams, that the world would see Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray for your blessing on the proclamation of Your Word. And in all the feebleness of Your servant to try to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and His ascension into glory. And we pray, O Lord, that You would be pleased to not only give the words, but that You would give the understanding. That our eyes would be opened to the glory of Jesus Christ as our ascended Lord and that we would live from Him and His power today and forever. And we would do so with joy and praising Your great name for who You are and that we would go forth blessing praising our God. Go with us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.